All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to John chapter 13. Good to have Jacqueline and Garrison with us tonight. Of course, he's in the nursery. Excuse me. John chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. The Bible says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. The message is love, mark of discipleship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies to us. Thank you for your love, your great love that you have toward us. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We pray, Father, as we look into the Word of God tonight, that we'd be encouraged, strengthened, challenged, and helped for your glory, for your honor, and have a better understanding of the godly love. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus told his disciples, of course, he's preparing to go to the cross, and this is his last um, appearance, you might say, to them, the last instructions he gives them before the cross. Uh, it's probably one of the longest portions of the, in the book of John as well, but it's, it's, there's a lot of details recorded here of his last hours with his disciples. And, of course, this is where he gives us, he calls it a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now in verse 1, it tells us, Now before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. The idea of love them to the end means to love to the uttermost, to love completely. And Jesus is telling us here that this, this is a mark. This is how people, one of the ways people are going to know that ye are my disciples. Now, a disciple is a follower. He's an adherent. He's one that, you know, the, the word disciple uh, is similar to the word discipline, which, which implies discipline, someone that's disciplined himself. He's an, he's an imitator, one who follows closely. And this is the kind of love that God desires in his people. Uh, you know, the world's, we have a very perverted view of what love is in our world today. It's more about getting than giving. The word agape is used in the Bible. It's the strongest word it's used to describe the love of God. It really has the idea of giving, benevolence. It's not getting, it's giving. And that would really describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself. Love is defined in, in Romans chapter 13. I'll look at, be looking at, again, some various scriptures tonight. Romans 13, in verses 8 through 10, where the Bible says, O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, we often think of the law as something that's rigid, 
and unforgiving. And yet Jesus said, if you love one another, you have fulfilled the law. The law is God's standard of holiness. It's a measurement of righteousness, if you will. And then he goes on and kind of explains this for this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. But beyond the other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 85, 10, the Bible says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. If you don't have holiness or righteousness, you do not have biblical love. Because this is what defines it. It is the definer of what true love is. We often say John was the apostle of what? Love. Do you know what all sees, what what he also was a champion for? That he used the word he used over and over and over again. Truth. Truth. And we'll see some of that a little bit later. But this is what biblical love is. Of course, Jesus, there was a lawyer asked him what was the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22 in verses 36 to 40. And again, this is really, you know, just kind of the same idea as what we've just read in Romans 13, Matthew 26 or 22, 36 to 40. It says, Master, which is the greatest great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. God is to have first love. First love. Remember the John, writing under inspiration to the church at Ephesus, said what he, what, he, what he critiqued them for or correct them for. Thou hast left thy first love. You know, a church that's less as first love really doesn't have Christ as its head anymore. It's not what is really directing the church or who is directing the church. It becomes man-centered. But that's the great commandment. Then he said the second is like unto unto it. uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, we might say that love, number one, love is doing what is right with a good attitude or right spirit. In uh, Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 19, you know, we often don't think of these Old Testament books as having to do with love and mercy and all that, but, but it's all there. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 15. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor. Love doesn't have show respect. Nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. 
Thou shalt not go up and down as a tarebearer. Here's, here's, this is really false witness. Among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt not Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. So if you really love your neighbor and he's living in sin, you're going to try and correct him. That's what it's saying. Thou shalt not offend, avenge, nor bear a grudge against any children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So again, God's saying here to us that this is the kind of love that I give, and this is what you ought to do. Just as Jesus gave the disciples in John chapter 13. We see here in the Old Testament. Doing right. You know, in Ephesians 4, and talking to pastors and addressing issues in the churches or things concerning the church, he talks about he gave some apostles, some prophets, some pastors and t- evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then he says, here's the purpose. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, Ephesians, Ephesians 4.12, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But... Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, if a pastor only gives you the positive things of the Bible, all positive, and no negatives, no warnings, no the warnings of Scripture. Would he be fulfilling his love toward his church, toward the church, the Lord's church? You know, Proverbs 27, 5 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy. Buttering up to you. Be all smiles and just butter up to you and be gushy and all that sort of stuff. Like the TV evangelists. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, Jesus loved Peter. But there were several occasions he rebuked Peter very, very sharply. In fact, in one point he said, get behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of the kingdom of God. You see, Peter was about Peter. Peter had a problem about Peter. He wanted to serve Peter. Just like you and I do. He wasn't interested in sacrifice of his... Savior. You know, if we love someone, we'll give them not what they want, but what they need. You don't give children what they want. You provide what they need. A child that gets everything they want 
will turn out to be a monster. David Sorensen, in his book titled How to Have a Heavenly Marriage, said marriage is not built on romantic feelings, but on righteousness, doing what is right. Now, those romantic feelings are very helpful in a marriage. But they will not sustain a marriage in trials. Doing what is right will. <clears throat> John, of course, we've referenced this, John the Apostle of Love. is known as the Apostle of Love and, and the one who Jesus loved and leaned on Jesus' breast at supper. But he's also a champion or the Apostle of Truth. In 2 John and also in 3 John, first, first of all, in 2 John and verses, verse 1, it says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. And then he warns her. By the way, I think it's her, it's a church. I don't believe it's an individual. I believe it's a church. Verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver in a Christ. So there are already people who are saying that Jesus Christ was not the God-man. This, was, this is, of course, Gnosticism that denied the reality of a bodily resurrection of Christ. They just said, you know, he was a ghost or... You know, he didn't really have a physical body. And, and, and John says this is a deceiver and an antichrist. That's strong words. So these were people who claimed to be Christians who were teaching this sort of thing. He didn't mince words. He says, and then he warns them, the church, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. So if a person doesn't believe in the doctrine of Christ, that, that God became a man and dwelt among us. So we have a bodily Lord Jesus. He was actually a man. Just like you and I, men are men. He was a man. He had a physical body, but he was also God at the same time. That is the doctrine of God what he's referring to here. And he says, if you don't believe that doctrine, you're not saved. You have not Christ. You're Antichrist. And so he warns them, look, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Don't help them in their ministry. Don't receive them into your church, in your membership. <clears throat> you see, there's, a, there's not love for the truth there. Again, chapter 3, or John 3, 3 John, I'm sorry. Uh, the elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that may as prosper and be in health, even as thy pro- full Thy soul prospereth, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
Drop down to verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such. He's talking about those who are faithful. That we might have be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and content, not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and cast them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So again, he... He, he, he commends them, those that are walking in the truth, but he warns them concerning Diotrephes, who is self-serving. You see, his love, Diotrephes' love isn't first to God, it's to himself. Diotrephes wanted to have the preeminence. He was self-serving. And so love is doing what is right. Secondly, love is unconditional. In John chapter 13, verse 1, of course, the Lord said, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Uh, it was complete, unconditional love. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the Lord didn't say, well, if you demonstrate some love toward me, if you make a several steps toward me, I'll love you. If you improve your life a little bit, I'll love you. But until you get better, no, he said, I love you just the way you are. Now, that does not mean he approves of the way you are. You know, there's a difference between love and approval. They're not the same. But God so loved the world. And there are many in the world, the vast majority of the world, is not approved by God. That doesn't change the fact that He loves them. You know, God doesn't love us because we are good or because we may help him or improve him. He doesn't need us. He's perfect. He is the I am, the self-sufficient one. He's perfect without us. You see, his love is unconditional. And that's what biblical love is. You'll have people that will offend you. But if you have the love of God, you'll still love them. Doesn't mean you'll condone sin. There's two different things. Love also, a biblical love requires demonstration. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, 1 John 4 and verse 9, the Bible says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, 
But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. There's that word again. It's actually used at least three times. Correct myself this morning. Uh, I said, I think only twice, but here, here it is again. So at least three times in the Bible, in the New Testament. But he, he, he uh, uh, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, so God didn't just tell us he loved us. He demonstrated. He gave evidence. There was evidence of his love. And Jesus was saying in John chapter 13, and if you're my disciples, ye will love one another. That is evidence. Loving the brethren is evidence that we are a child of God. Look at chapter 3 here of 1 John, verse 16. Again, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, so here again he's saying, look, if you know, God... He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, let me give you an illustration of what that is. You remember the famine, the dearth, the drought that came in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 5. And, of course, the persecution. On top of that, there was a great persecution. So that many of the Jews who believed on the Lord were not only suffering from a famine, but some of them were disenfranchised. That is, they may have lost jobs because of family conflicts since they got saved. You know, so like um, there was a man in Altoona, Shaw was his last name, he was Jewish, and when he got saved, when he got baptized, his parents had a mock funeral service for him. And they disinherited him. So those are the kind of things that would have happened. And so there was this great need. Enter Barnabas. Barnabas is a wealthy man. God's called him to pastor. He has land. He doesn't need land. He had this world's goods not only was he a godly man, he had this world's goods, which the call of God in his life is going to take him from that. He's going to actually be one to go to Antioch, and then, on, then with Paul on missionary journeys, what's he going to do with land? And he sees his brethren have needs, so he sells it. He sells it. And brings the money and lays it at the apostles' feet so that the church could distribute it to people that need. That's what this is about. That was a demonstration that Barnabas genuinely loved the brethren. He gave evidence of it. You demonstrate your love for the brethren when you give to those who have need. Your missionaries have need. And you have demonstrated your love for brethren to rise up to help meet those needs. 
We demonstrate our love for God by obeying Him. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 21. John 14 and verse 21 says, And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father's which sent me. You see, if you have a genuine love for God, you're going to have a desire to keep his commandments. And when you have a desire to keep his commandments, you know what? The Bible begins to open up to you. If you don't want to obey the word of God, the Bible is going to be a closed book to you. Because you're not willing to receive it. Because when you open your heart up to the word of God, it's going to hurt. It's going to reveal things to you about you. That you're going to say, oh, Okay, Lord. Oh. Ouch. Okay, Lord. That's what it's going to do. But it's also going to, at the same time, bring you into a sweet communion with God that the world knows nothing about. You see, that's what it says when he said, I will manifest myself unto him. You know, if we will not accept some truth, God will not reveal any more truth. But when we receive truth and obey it, God reveals more truth. He reveals more truth. That's a pattern in Scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch, he received the truth and he was willing to be baptized because he embraced the truth. And the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. And historians tell us that he went to Ethiopia and he started a church. Really, Philip authorized him through his baptism to go and start a church in Ethiopia. James 4.8 James 4, says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. If God is far away, remember, He doesn't, he doesn't change. He hasn't moved. See, this love requires a demonstration. If we love God, if we love God, we will keep. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. So love requires demonstration. Fourthly, true love compels a response. Again, 1 John 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. You know, love isn't natural for a human being. Biblical love. The idea of giving. What's natural? 
For those little, little ones back there in the nursery, you know what's natural? I want. I want. I want. It's mine, mine, mine. That's what's natural. Biblical love of giving is not natural. It has to be taught. But love, when it is given, compels a response from the one to whom it is given. Again, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. Your acts of love and kindness stir our inmost feelings. Stirs. Sometimes acts of love and kindness bring reactions. Negative reactions. Many times that's out of fear. Because the more you love, the more vulnerable you make yourself. Open to hurt. You know, if, you don't, if you're not willing to love, you're going to miss out on the greatest blessings of life. But with that comes the, also the, oppor- the opportunities and the possibilities of being hurt. You know, I was looking through the pastoral theology course, and I got a couple books to read with it. And one of the writers said, you know, being a pastor requires a great measure of love, but it also opens one up to the greatest of hurts. It does. But you have to determine which one are you going to focus on. You know, Jesus was hurt beyond measure for us. And he loved beyond measure. If you want, you know, man, if you want your wife to love you, love her. Unconditionally. Without criticism, coercion, manipulation, those create fear. That's why people react because of that. You know, I remember I was in a church where a pastor railed and threatened his people for something one man did. And instead of going and talking directly to the one man, he railed on the whole church. Do you know what that did? It just created an uneasiness and a fear in the church. Instead of lovingly going to this man and saying, look, what you're doing is wrong and you need to correct it or we will have to take action. Instead, he told the whole church, if this isn't corrected, we're going to have to take action. And people are going, I wonder who he's referring to. Is it me? That's coercion. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. 
Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. In other words, that word constrain means it compels us. It's like a driving force. So the love of Christ is the driving force behind me. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Paul was a keeper of the commandments of God. He loved God and he kept his commandments. But this he also knew. That because he loved God, he was going to suffer much for God. In fact, the Lord told him that. In Acts chapter 9, and verse 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, Paul was given much. Think about it. Again, here's an illustration of one who's been given much, who had this, who had this, uh, uh, love for the Lord and kept His commandments and, and abide, abode with Christ and Christ, God manifested Himself. You know, He went into Arabia and God appeared to Him and instructed Him uh, one-on-one, you might say, uh, for a period of time and He received these revelations from God. You know, He's caught up to a third heaven and received these revelations and, and saw things that, which a man could not utter. But along with that, he suffered much because he was loved much. See, he was willing to he was willing to die for his Lord. So love compels a responsive action. And then number five. Love is pure. Again, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Again, to the end here means to the uttermost or completely. Completely. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Pure heart. You know, James chapter 3 and verse 17 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's pure. And we understand from the Bible that the overriding or dominant attribute of God is His holiness. His holiness. His purity. It regulates all other attributes, you might say. And God's desire of us is that we love Him out of a pure heart. Out of a pure heart. In other words, he's to be our first love. Now, what does that mean? Well, go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. Now, 
I have to say, to me, this isn't the best way to win friends and influence people. Think about what he's saying to them. So there's a multitude following him. He turns around and says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's a hard saying. In other words, if you're not willing to lay aside earthly ties for the truth, your love for God isn't first. It's not first. This is really what we call first love. Not... He isn't saying, hate your wife, hate your husband, hate your father, hate your mother. It's an illustration of comparative. You know, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. But it is second. See, your love for your father, your mother, your wife, and your children is to be secondary to God. You can't properly love your father, your mother, your wife, and your children, and your, your husband if you don't love God most. Because that, then, is an impure love. You know, we must be willing to examine, judge, others biblically. Otherwise, our love is self-serving, self-preserving. We have to be willing to surrender all those relationships to God. This is what's wrong with the contemporary church. See, what's most important is, what do the people want? What about my friends? You know, there were people that came to Jesus and said, your mother and your brethren, they seek you. And he looked around and said, these are my mother, my brethren, and my sisters. The ones that follow me. You know, it's about, this, 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 this philosophy that we see in the world today is about self-preservation. And what is there about self that's worth preserving? Think about it. You know, the Lord was willing to risk relationships with his disciples on many occasions. You remember in John chapter 6, he said, Except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And the Bible says that many of the disciples went away and walked with him no more. And he said to the twelve, Will you also go away? And they said, Peter said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
But it was that same Peter who on several occasions that he rebuked very strongly. You know, there, could, there, was, a, there was always that chance. There's always that chance that Peter said, all right, that's enough of this. I'm out of here. John, James and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he said, he called them the sons of thunder. They wanted to call down fire in Samaria and destroy them sinners. And Jesus said, you know not what manner of men you are. In other words, you're acting like devils. That's not godly. Why? Why did he do that? Because he loved them. Because he loved them. You see, he was molding and shaping Peter. Preparing him to be the man that he desired him to be. Of course, he became the pastor, first, second pastor of the First Baptist Church at Jerusalem. He was molding all these disciples, disciples, followers, to be followers of him, to teach what he taught. He loved them. You see, love without truth is not love. Many verses in the Old Testament, I just looked up a few. Psalm 86, 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. That word mercy there is defined as kindness. But along with that is and truth. And truth. Psalm 89, 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Psalm 93, 8, 3. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. When God was merciful to Israel, he never set aside the truth for their sake. To set aside the truth for their sake would be damning to them. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. The sad thing is, the premise of most churches is, what do the people want? So really, is Christ the head? You know, He's to be the head of the body, the church. And to forsake our love for him, for someone else, is idolatry. It's idolatry. You see, the church at Ephesus, he said, except you repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. They had forsaken their first love. 
Christ was no longer the head. Oh, they were a militant church. I mean, they tried those that said they were apostles and found them liars. They were very active and working. But it was on autopilot. God was no longer their first love. So, how was our love for the Lord? Does He have preeminence? The book of Colossians tells us in chapter 1 and verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Now when it says that in him all the fullness dwells, all you want to know about God is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the I Am of the Old Testament. He's a Jehovah Jireh that appeared to Abraham. He was the angel Lord that wrestled with Jacob. He was the angel of the Lord that appeared to Gideon, to Joshua. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts. And all that we want to know about God is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is to have preeminence. Is he preeminent in your life? 